And so we might say this is an experience of the void. You're listening to the Digital Void Podcast, where we explore the borderlands of digital media, memes, and technology. My name is Josh Chapdelaine, and my co-host is memeticist Dr. Jamie Cohen. Today, Jamie and I dive into a brief history of how war and conflict play out in cyberspace, ranging from 9-11 and Syria to how Ukraine is using Twitter in its fight against Russia. So, Jamie, we have a lot to talk about relating to Russia's invasion of the Ukraine and specifically memes. Mm -hmm. I think we have a lot to talk about because this recent threat is much more visible than previous threats that we've had. And I think that the mediated concepts that we are approaching with this are in a new vernacular than we've had previously. And so I think what's what we're witnessing in real time is a shift in language and a shift in wartime media. This is an unprovoked war. So in an unprovoked war, you have a completely different attitude toward how we're going to see the victim. The same thing has happened multiple times over the last decade. We are not in the first digital war by any means. This is one of the probably the second dozen of digital, unfortunately, the second dozen of social media wars that has occurred since possibly the most infamous beginning of the Arab Spring. Around that time, it was the first or, or some of the first, because we could really arguably say that social media wars go all the way back to 9-11 because we had ways of connecting with one another. This war in particular has given us what we in our project have called creative surplus. You know, we've talked about what it means to have cultural surplus and creative surplus in terms of memes, shit posting, general posting, uh, commodification posting, uh, mixed message posting posting with bad takes, posting for no reason, when people could just simply not post, <laughs> it just seems like there's an overwhelming amount of content. But it, it's important to understand that this doesn't just start at this war. This actually starts a long time ago. And it's about how we deal with stress and what we do with stress and what we do with cognitive surplus or creative surplus. And I think the first time I encountered this was standing outside of my class right after 9-11, and I mean literally right after 9-11. So the buildings, I would just had seen on the screen, live in real time, the building, the North building collapse. And it caused a shock and people didn't really know what to do. They were asking each other where to be and what to look at. And I walked outside and people were trying to get cell signal. And so many people were using their cell phones that it wasn't connecting. But also the place where our relay was, was the North Tower. So we didn't really have a good way of connecting with cell phones and people were trying to call their parents. The school I went to was very close to New York City, so people's parents were working there. And some classmate of mine who I met that day stood next to me, looked me, looked me right in the eyes, and I said, I guess I'll see you in the 157th Regiment, knowing full well, <laughs> knowing full well that like he, in our sense, our sensory feeling at that exact moment was that we were going to war. And how do you conceptualize war in an era of peace? So we had grown up in a relatively peaceful time. We had witnessed Ooh. the fall of the Berlin Wall, the end of communism in Russia, which has obviously led to this. But it's not like we were absent of war. When I was a little kid, we had tornado drills. And I was not in a, that was scare quotes around that. There were no tornadoes in my region. So those were disguised as to explain what a nuclear threat drill would be. So when I was younger, that was still part of my life, was worrying about nuclear disaster. When social media was developed, 
soon after, a uh, couple years after of 9-11, there wasn't yet a way of expressing anxiety the way we do today. And when we express anxiety, typically we do it pretty bluntly. We tell people how we feel. We tell people what we're thinking. Propaganda, of course, intercedes with this. And propaganda is the ability to sway minds through visual rhetoric, potentially textual rhetoric or verbal rhetoric, that tells people a lie, but designed specifically to change them or move them in some way or another, whether that be towards purchasing something, whether that be toward uh being an activist, or whether that be toward civic duty, changing your voting status. And when propaganda gets good at our language, when marketers start reading our media, they start embedding how we speak online. There's always this context about how millennials have figured out how to kind of speak internet. And one of the ways that they speak internet, I always say, is like, we were introduced to new and kind of shitty terms like doggo and puppo. But those types of things are ways that millennials communicate with one another. They share this and it becomes an inside vernacular, mimetic language that refers to both life and text at the exact same time. Marketers know if you're going to sell to millennials, you're going to use that language. But when marketers do it, it's not organic. It's mechanical or sales-based and it feels like propaganda. It feels like something that's designed specifically to convert our culture into commodity. But then we got good at it. We got good at turning our culture into commodity. We watched YouTubers convert themselves into brand managers, people who start selling their their idea as their their brand, their person more than they sell the product that they're trying to push. And everyone who's I would say is on the the good faith scale of Casey Nestat, the questionably good faith uh, Mr. Beast, uh, are using their brand, their personal being to push that first before they push the product that they're shilling within the, the video that they've made. Things changed during the Sy Syrian civil war. In the Syrian civil war, we noticed the power of emotional impact viral content to become propagandistic. And it was actually very important to the way that Ukraine is being dealt with today because Russia had a very specific response to this. For as long as I've been alive, I've always known that the thing that Russia's good at is propaganda. It's kind of like just there. It's an ambient knowledge, like the sky is blue. You know, Russia's good at propaganda. And so when you know this, you know that people are interested in knowing how wars are won through propaganda techniques, not so much sometimes as through the death and the horror and the killing that come with it. And Russia had become, in my mind, or as many people's minds, the, the master of it. In the Syrian civil war, there was footage of young children being hurt, and they were being used in a way that we could arguably say was propagandistic, but it wasn't. It was posting authentically. Two pictures in particular won't leave our minds. One is that of Amran Daknish, who, sitting in the back of an ambulance, covering his bloody face after a bombing of his house, became the symbol of what we saw as the disaster that uh, Russians can do or Syrian nationalists can do on just the basic civilians. That we saw that the airstrike in Aleppo being leveled at that time was affecting children who had no idea how to interact with it. The video is impressive because Amran sits there as he's bleeding from his forehead and when he wipes his hand, he notices blood and he becomes embarrassed because he realizes he's being recorded and he realizes it's not his seat. The more devastating image that came from this was the image of Alan Kurdi, the young boy who drowned in the Mediterranean on his way to Turkey. Uh, and a Turkish soldier picks up the young boy's body and the photo of his, bo his little body face down in the sand becomes identifiable with the pain that's caused by refugees. 
So what we see is these very two impactful images that come from this. The downside here is that it's often coded in racism that we've seen, unfortunately, far too much in the last few days of news reporters saying the quiet part loud when they're talking about what the difference is between uh, Europeans and, you know, the other places. And what we see now is this inherent bias towards this, toward watching Europeans in the same situation that Aleppo had been in several years ago with the same aggressor, uh, Russia. Now here's this, this is where it becomes today's topic, which is the organic display in the Syrian civil war in the 2016-2017 period was organically posted with no real intention for propagandistic uses. However, Russia did declare that video, both the video of Amran Daknish and Alan Kurdi as propaganda, as if it doesn't exist. It's fake news, so to speak. Now, Russia has become even better at propaganda since then. I mean, they literally, they're literally in the business of destabilizing democracies. That's their job. It's good. In other words, it's good. But not as good as Ukraine, because what Ukraine learned in an odd way in the background of all of this is that you can use Twitter to shitpost. You could do things that aren't propaganda because you use things that are actually in opposition to propaganda because shitposting exists in that place of irony. So when that guy asked me, I'll see you in the 157th Regiment back in 2001, he was being ironic. I don't know. Maybe he did enlist for all I know. But what I know is that he didn't mean it. What he meant is that he was scared. He was scared because we were likely going into war, which we did, a needless war and a semi-needless war next to it. And so he was right, but he didn't have a place to put that. Had he existed in our current era, he would have made a meme. And that meme would have been probably posted online and people would have looked at it like, oh, we're not really getting drafted. And he's like, no, it's a shit post. But now we don't have to explain shit posting. It just is how we speak. We speak to each other through these posts that really mean nothing but an ironic kind of twist to it. And if you get good at it, you could be a brand manager. You could start becoming the Wendy's brand manager, or the Burger King brand manager, or the Steakums brand manager. But rarely did we think that the Ukraine account, the actual account that Ukraine, the country has, would become a better propagandistic technique than anything previous to that. And so what we actually get to see is Ukraine very early on in this aggression posts a, a, a meme, a, a very aggressive meme of a large Hitler putting his hand on a small Putin's face. And that's all it said. That's it. And what that does is shows that that type of official shitposting becomes part of how we communicate because the intent there is that we'll share it. And it, it comes as no surprise that Ukraine follows several countries and follows the New Jersey account, which is one of the, which New Jersey has stereotypically been kind of a, a, a shitposting by attitude and then just has migrated that shitposting into the internet space. And that's important because the quality has increased, but so has our way of talking to these things. Yeah. And I think it's really important to note just how successful the meme of Hitler patting Putin on the face is. As of this recording, it has 434,000 retweets and 1.8 million likes. And the comment is self-referential. It's meta. The Ukrainian Twitter account wrote, this is not a meme, but our and your reality right now. And this is where memes are mirrors. Because memes and mirrors are the same at this point. We are expressing ourselves. We currently express ourselves with the creative surplus of meme making. As memes have become much more accessible and makeable and shareable, we don't have to worry about translating this content any longer. This is just 
reality. So memes are our current context where maybe it would have been photographs or tweets in years previous or video segments or whatever. The meme is the current moment for this type of expression. And that's why it doesn't have to say this is not a meme, but our reality because memes are reality. It isn't different from that, but it gets weird sometimes. <laughs> and what that weird is, is that sometimes we get excited by this because we do not have the meme literacies necessary to read media like this because memes are no longer uh, shareable, funny, little quirky things, but actually media itself. And I would argue that we're leaning into memes as traditional media at this point. It is so commonplace that it's a form of graphical language. So when we speak language, we use words. We could use words in any way we'd like, but we speak graphical languages. We learn how to speak in ways that carry more nuance than just words itself. But the majority of people don't know where that line is between reality and shitposting. So you mentioned mirrors and reflections of reality. And I think this is really seen in the marvelization of the Ukrainian-Russian conflict. And unfortunately... One of the most popular meme formats of this conflict is the everyday person relating the Ukraine with the Avengers. And mm -hmm. Jamie, I I want to look at some of the popular memes with you right yes. now yeah, and, and see your reaction to what's happening uh, in real time. So mm -hmm. I just sent in our chat I, – I don't know if you've seen this yet, but it is – a uh, popular meme format, and it's a video, and I would love for you to take a look. This was most popularized by a clapping theater right after the pandemic began. So, Jamie, can you walk us through what you're seeing? So this is Rake Anders' tweet that just simply says, assemble with the Ukrainian flag emoji. So <laughs> this, this meme has been used more than once. Okay, this meme is uh, the meme of the final climax of Avengers Endgame. Um, you've had time to watch it, so I'm not ruining anything. But this is the moment in which we feel as though the dark forces of Thanos and his army have defeated the Avengers. And Captain America, dirty in his face, looks out. And this time it's titled Zelensky. <laughs> <laughs> and behind him walks out through Doctor Strange's opening windows... Black Panther, which says Klitschko, and Zelensky seems pretty relieved that he has backup. Now this, like I said, this meme, I've seen this before. I've seen different subheightings. It is fascinating to me that it's still using the impact font. Um, and then what the greatest part here is the ghost of Kiev appears in the form of Fal Falcon as he flies around and Thanos being Putin. The ghost of Kiev is propaganda. We have no real proof of whether the ghost of Kiev is one or many people, but it is a great piece of propaganda. And so what you see now is the people of, uh, of Ukraine, the Snake Island people, Stinger anti-aircraft from the Netherlands, basically everyone, ammunition from Poland, acting as all the different characters of the Avengers as they lean up and say, here it comes, the $350 million of military aid from the USA. And as we know from the movie, they trounce the, the people and, and their sanctions, more sanctions. I don't even know how to explain how simplified of how much we shouldn't be doing this. Um, <laughs> this is just new. It's basically if you were to read every news article and pump it through an AI and then let Marvel write it, it might look like this, I guess. But the difference here is that this scenario is not over yet. 
we know that the scene ends with uh, Thanos being defeated by a snap, but it in this, it just ends with fuck off, Putin. So who's this for? <laughs> so, so what is this? What is So the, the clip doesn't even end up at the end. We don't end up at the end game. We end up at the, the exciting middle part of that. Yeah, this was posted on February 26th, which is, I think roughly two days after. So it ends as the battle begins. It's showing the perceived alliance and forces and aid. Mm-hmm. And I I, I want to point out there's one, the, the funniest part of this video, because it's a very grim and not funny video, is a caption that says, whatever the CIA is doing yeah. in secret. It's the only funny part of the video. And I like that that's, it's tagged to War Machine, which I think is actually the brilliant part of this, because if Rake Anders decided he was going to caption this, that's brilliant in terms of meta commentary because War Machine is the U.S. government's version of Iron Man, uh, where Iron Man is a private operative for a weird extra paramilitary group. The CIA has their own Iron Man and it's tagged properly. So uh, A plus for tagging it properly. But <laughs> but it isn't, it isn't really funny. It no. isn't supposed to be funny. No, it's not supposed to be funny. And it makes me overwhelmingly sad. It makes me feel like they're like the participatory nature of meme making can be transferred energetically to the real life tragedy of the Ukrainian folks on the ground. And yeah. the end game, no pun intended, is not guaranteed. There is no Iron Man. There is no snap. And this is going to be, unfortunately, a long, serious, threatening battle. And I, I think people have good intention with these videos. I just think people don't know how to work out why this is inappropriate to post. Mm-hmm. Well, I'd like to, before we diagnose some other memes that come from this, this event, I'd like to point out that this is what Hussein Kazvani, Hussein Kazvani wrote or tweeted in an excellent tweet that describes this. Memification, the marvelization, the spectacle of ongoing war rendered as entertainment, etc. This is less about the lack of empathy or understanding of human suffering, and far more indicative of platforms doing what they were designed to do and producing everything as content. And Josh, you and I know, this is what, we've, this is what our project's been based on, is that the commodification of everything is the structure. And this is what I was saying earlier, which is that when when in our previous social media wars, we hadn't really mastered the idea of commodification. And the MCU is really just Twitter or discourse at scale. I mean, that's it's designed specifically to scale up storytelling and its most base systems all the way up to shareables. And so you can't blame Rake Anders for attempting this meme, but you can say, we should be looking at it and saying, don't, maybe let's not do that. You know, this isn't really about this, but it, you can't blame somebody for using corporate media and doing this because, I mean, Universal taught us this when we allowed us to make terrible memes with minions. Right. And you can't blame people. No. Um, I do blame people for minion memes today for what it's worth. Yeah, I don't true. think it's excusable, but I love what Hussein says. And I think he really nails the spectacle nature of it, but it is so far removed from our everyday lives and the anxiety, the fear that we feel is constructed in the emotive language of memes. And it's the primary way that people are making sense of their reality. And it feels like unreality right now. And yeah, it's, it's all grim. So you want to talk about some of these other pieces? Yeah. There's some good memes 
that I think we should talk about. There's one that you sent me that's Barkin Wuffet. Uh, Wuffet Barkin is the app. And it's a meme of Zelensky. And it is a stopantisemitism.org meme, um, which is just one step different than Occupy Democrat memes. Uh, they're designed specifically for boomer bait. And this one has a very odd format because it has two captions, the caption and the, the picture. A Jewish-Ukrainian family had four brothers. Three were murdered by the Nazis. Only one survived. His, her, his grandson is President Zelensky. Then the quote above it, I need ammunition, not a ride. Ukraine, Ukraine president said Joe Biden when asked if he'd like to be evacuated. Ukraine is so lucky to have such a leader. And then another caption by the tweet poster. When this kind of thing goes viral, you understand that Russia has already lost the war. It doesn't matter if they take over Ukraine or not. No, it does. No, it does matter. <laughs> like, so that, that there's a rightness and a wrongness to this. And this is a liberal mentality. So a lot of these memes are playing into that Occupy Democrat space of what, whether or not Russia loses, uh, Russia, Russia loses. That's fair. I mean, that's, that's, that is true. I can't argue with that. I think no matter what has happened, Russia has lost this war because, as I said, the ambient nature of knowing Russia's technique and talent there's no way to come back from this. Russia can't return to a place where people won't equate the attitude with with horror and unabashed destruction. There's no way to actually walk that back. So in other words, the, Putin is no longer in that gray area of like, maybe we could work with him, but he's on the side of the evil side. And so that's there. But a meme like this is kind of like a assuaged Band-Aid. Like it lets people look at it and be like, Man, we have these three layers. We have this this grandson of the Holocaust. We have this bold statement, and then we have this this commentary. It doesn't matter, and that that, that triple attitude is kind of brilliant in in our online space because it is designed specifically to have us feel better. Now, I want to let just point back to something here about Zelensky himself and that content. Whereas Putin may be good at tradecraft. Zelensky is good at stagecraft. So when you watch a video like him saying that quote or, or, or standing in front of his cabinet members and showing that he's still alive and, and Kiev is still um, standing, those are designed specifically as uh, reverse propaganda. They are not what you, people think they are. They are not cheerleading moments. They are not this. But the sloganeering, I, it looks to me like it worked, right? Because many of the memes that you sent me use that same line. I don't need a I don't need a ride, I need ammunition. And I think the format of the meme posted by Wuffet Barkin is really important as well because it looks like a screen grab of someone reading an article on the New York Times. The format is similar to a news article. So I think there's a subconscious association with professionalism and news credibility when this meme is being shared. Yeah. And a lot of these, the, all of these formats, which I think, again, plays us back into the boomerification of Facebook. A lot of this is designed for Facebook. And I could tell this because a vast majority of these memes are still using the impact font. These aren't level three memes. These are level one memes. Level three memes are self-referential. They use the when you or me when type of uh, descriptors. Um, so there's one by uh, Richard Ojeda II that says, this is my favorite meme by far. 
And it's Trump saying, we're going to walk down to the Capitol and I'll be there with you. And it's just simply Zelensky's reply, bitch, please. And he's wearing body armor. This is valorization of a man who's under threat, uh, who's likely going to die or potentially might die in this and hopefully survives. Uh, but his life is terminally cut by a, a warlord dictator in the country next door who's pushing directly into something that is an unattainable thing. These are non-comparable figures, uh, Trump versus Zelensky. And what this does, again, is gives us a hero-worshipping thing and negates the fact that Trump is going to be our candidate for 2024. And if Trump is elected, he won't side with Zelensky. And I get what this meme is doing, but this, again, is Facebook bait. This is designed specifically to kind of play down that fear. And I noticed this again with many of the memes. There's one meme that's, again, an impact font. And it's a call between Zelensky and Putin. And you could tell their outfits changed. You know, it's a montage. And it says, hey, Vova, want to hear a joke? Go ahead. Kiev. I don't get it. That's right, bitch. You don't. Ugh. <laughs> All right. You know, and it says it comes from Ukrainians. And I don't think it does. Uh, it might be made in Ukrainian, but it's in, a, in the Ukraine, but it's not. If it is for that, it's definitely not the specific version of that we're looking at. And then I'll go one more which is this meme that's actually pretty prevalent moving around the internet, which is uh, now become a format, which is Paddington. Um, Zelensky is the voice. Zelensky is a former comedian and actor, and he is the voice of Paddington in the Ukrainian language. So when you watch Paddington in that country, it's Zelensky's voice. So of course they're going to use Paddington. Now this is really strange in mimetic context itself because it's turning this lovable bear and it only uses the same grim face that Paddington gives. And it just lashes on these languages. As you attack, it will be our faces you see, not our backs. I need ammo, not a ride. And then it is captioned, legend, absolute legend. Again, it's nice, but this is shitposting in its accidental form. This is people trying to find their way to make these types of communications. So I guess the question that we should be asking is, should we be posting through it? <laughs> uh, should this be what happens in this current context? And I'm just going to quote Amanda Brennan here from the article that she and I are in, in Inside Hook. Quote, we learned how to cope with hard situations through memes. There are so many instances of people using memes as a way to be vulnerable with each other, as a, not a way to really talk about the hard stuff. Just use a meme in place of that. End quote. And I think that's right. I think just like I said with the 157th Regiment, that would have been a meme. That would have been an irony post. We see many irony posts of people asking whether or not they're going to get drafted, what they would do in the case of a draft. It's anxiety. What you're watching is anxiety come out. And so whether you're seeing anxiety being translated to boomer memes on Facebook or seeing uh, translation of these things to the ironic twists or shitposting of feeling like you might be involved through clicktivism. Uh, there's one meme that I think is funny of uh, just a woman standing at a standing desk and it says, uh, I'm really tired of living through these events. And it's there's a hands-off mentality and distance that we've been given through the internet. That's by design. But what we're doing now is participating in it in a way that, again, I can't blame anybody, but we're negating the absolute horror that many people are going through. Several Instagram accounts I follow have shifted, are Ukrainian accounts, and have shifted their content in real time to being first-person witnessing of these things. If this war ends up in a siege mentality, some of the towns in Ukraine will be cut off from goods and services, and they will be starved to death. And you might watch that. You may actually watch with your eyes the actual horror of war in front of you. And these aren't just tiny bits of video like Amran Daknish. These are long stories that we're going to watch in degrade 
ways that people degrade in front of you. How are you going to meme when the story gets worse? How are you going to tell these stories? Memes often give us the ability to cover this up in the first few days and then move on to the next big news story. But this big news story will actually get worse. This is going to be changing in front of our eyes. I'm curious to see what we do with memes in the next few days. But to me, I feel like maybe we should consider uh, a moratorium on some of these memes as we watch this thing happen. I think so. A moratorium on memes throughout this crisis sounds like a really smart idea. I am certain that the memes will continue to proliferate and evolve in really strange ways. Earlier in this conversation, you were talking about brand Twitter and how when Stakeums co-ops our language, it feels awkward. It feels weird. It is the commodification of anything and everything. And you also mentioned that Russia is full of master propagandists. Vladimir Putin is literally overseeing the Internet Research Agency, which has sown so much division in the West over the course of the last decade. And since the murder of Seth Rich in 2016, we've seen memes as the primary way to express anxiety and cope in this quite literal digital info war. And it's the way that we're making meaning. We saw the evolution of Pepe. We saw memes uh, from deplorables to Kekistan evolve. And I just feel like there's no way that we get around memeing, but to promote critical meme literacies is going to be super important for us to remain resilient during this time. I think our last takeaway is that we have to remember that humans are behind all these accounts. These aren't machines. These aren't uh, bots. They're people operating the bots, sure, so to speak. But when we talk about Ukraine and these things, we're talking about human beings and human beings being human. And I think a lot of the time that we've spent watching Russia get really good at destabilizing the governments through IRA and through all those systems has actually become the model in which many places use propaganda as uh, a system, as in almost like the guidebook or the textbook of how to do it. And I think what Ukraine has tapped into in this specific meme war is that they're actually tweeting like humans tweet, not how machines tweet. Thanks for tuning in to the Digital Void podcast. Make sure to visit digitalvoid.media for the latest information on our upcoming events, projects, and podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to leave a five-star review on iTunes. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you soon.